What David was sharing about is, is an exciting news about what's happening in China, about the raising up of new missionaries to do God's work. And, and I'm excited about the things that are happening in the house churches and about these young people who are committing their lives to mission work. And, and also, maybe coincidentally this morning, I got a newsletter, a prayer letter from one of the missionaries that we also support, Peter Wang, who's also in Taiwan, and he's working in ministries in Taiwan and also in China. And he sent something to me this in his prayer letter that I read that was a little bit disturbing to me and a concern. And it's just a reminder that, that there is someone out there trying to spoil God's work. Uh, what Peter wrote in his prayer letter that he's excited that there's a lot of young people joining uh, the ranks of mission work, and, and especially in China. But they're, he feels that they're enthusiastic, but he's concerned that they're not well-equipped, that they're not built for the long run. And for those of us in the Christian faith, we know it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and that there is an enemy out there that wants to cause us to stumble. And so what Peter is concerned with, that he's seeing a lot of enthusiasm, but he's also seeing a lot of casualties, that a lot of these young missionaries stumble and eventually fall away from God. And this is something that for those of us who have been in ministry a long time, we are familiar with these stories where pastors, Christian leaders, missionaries have a moral failing or they have a crisis in faith and they walk away from God. And this is because of the work of someone called the devil, Satan. He's out there tempting us to cause us to be disobedient to God. And that's what we're going to be kind of talking, talking about this morning. And we're going to look at the work of the devil, but also how Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who is worthy to go up against Satan. This past week, one of my passions is to go fishing, and I love to fish. And so a group of us, a group of guys from the church, we went to Southern California, and we went tuna fishing. And we did pretty well. We, we caught a lot of tuna. And, and there's something about fishermen. Fishermen are notorious about telling big stories. They tend to exaggerate. Now, I think I have a picture of of one of the fish that we caught, and I want to thank Warren for arranging the trip for us. So that's a yellowfin tuna. So you know, that's a classic way of how a fisherman presents his catch, right? You stick your hands way out there, and you make that fish bigger than life. In actuality, sometimes you're not sure if that's real or not, because it could actually be a smaller fish, right? So. You don't know with fishermen, they always tend to exaggerate. But that's kind of what fishermen are known for. But it's interesting to note that, you know, the first people that Jesus actually called into ministry are fishermen. It's maybe because fishermen know how to tell stories. And, and one of the things that fishermen may understand really well is this saying. That, you know, you've heard the saying where if you give a man a fish, he has a meal for a day. But if you teach him how to fish, he can feed himself for a lifetime. So that's a wise saying. Essentially, it's how important it is to be able to equip people to do something for themselves as opposed to doing it for them. 
And this principle is very important to Jesus because that's what was one of his purposes in coming to earth, is that he came to find followers to help him start a movement. He can't do it for them all because he was only here for a certain, certain amount of time and he was going to leave. And so he had to have disciples, followers, who would be able to do what he did. And that's an important principle that he had to find in his potential followers. But also, on the other hand, those potential followers had to figure out whether or not Jesus was worth following, right? If he was trustworthy, if he was the real deal. And if we look 2,000 years today from those times, that's the same question that a lot of us have to wrestle with, right? That are we trusting Jesus to be who he is? And are we willing to follow him? Because if he's not the real thing, then we'll be really foolish to be committing our lives, like David said, to suffer a lifetime of doing Christian work if Jesus is not worthy. And what I'm here to want to address in this room, there are probably many people going through different stages in their uh, faith journey. So I imagine here there are some of you who are, who are seeking. You just haven't made that decision yet, but you're checking it out. And I'm thankful that you're here. You're in the right place, discovering what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to continue to discover who Jesus is. And hopefully, the imperfect followers that we are here don't cause you to stumble in your discovery of Jesus. And some of you here may be new Christians. And this is a great way to learn more about Jesus. If you're here and you're going to be following along in our series in Matthew, it's a great way to know Jesus through his stories, a story of his life. And for those of you in this room, maybe you've been a veteran or have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And maybe you're actually battle-weary, that the challenges of life have really broken you down, and maybe you need a refresher. So hopefully, going through the book of Matthew, you will renew your first love with Jesus. So my question for all of us this morning, regardless of what stage in life you are in, as far as your walk with Jesus and your faith journeys, I want to know from you all if you really feel Jesus is worthy. And I'm here to proclaim to you enthusiastically that, yes, Jesus is worthy to follow because he has been tested, certified to be worthy. He is certified. Now, what does it mean to be certified? The definition of certified is to be endorsed, to be reliable, to be verified, to be validated. And that's a concept that a lot of us are very familiar with, right? It's not foreign to us to be certified. When we go, and oftentimes when we go buy a car, some of us choose to buy used cars, but there are certain used cars that are called certified pre-owned cars, right? It means that they've been tested and, and, and looked over and examined to be in the top-notch condition. and actually comes with a premium when you buy a certified car. Another example. Today happens to be uh, Terry and my wife and I, our wedding anniversary. 29 years ago, this day, we committed to one another as husband and wife. So I have a slave taskmaster of a, of a boss who makes me preach on the, my wedding anniversary. 
But that's okay, Andrew. Pastors don't rest. So here I am preaching on that. And then uh, when I, we got married, right, and on that day I presented Terry with a ring. And, and on that ring is a diamond. And when you purchase a diamond, uh, you know, in my mind, you don't know if it's really the real thing. Because who knows? The, the diamond broker could kind of uh, scam you and, and sell you something. So to the credit of our, our diamond broker, she had the diamond sent to, to the Gemological Institute of America. And actually, you can get a certificate that certifies the quality of the diamond. They test it, they look it under a microscope, and they, they actually vouch for the quality and, and the clarity of the diamond. So that's a certified diamond. So this concept, as I said, is not foreign to us in our lives. We get things certified. And similarly, Jesus is certified. That before he actually begins his ministry, God in his wisdom has Jesus tested. He has Jesus tested by Satan. And by passing the tests that Satan presents to him, he becomes certified. So that all who would see this and hear about this will understand that Jesus is trustworthy to be Lord and Savior. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. And if you have your Bibles, we can follow along with me. I'm sure it's going to be projected behind me. So let's go to Matthew 4, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the first temptation that the devil presents to Jesus is a physical one. It's the need for sustenance, hunger. And it's kind of interesting here, if you look at from the uh, verse 1, that Jesus is led by the Spirit. So this is intentional. And it comes right after Jesus has been baptized. So this is kind of an oddity, and I guess this is just be Jesus being Jesus, is that how many of you, when you got baptized, you went out and had a party? It's probably one of the high moments in your faith journey that you go and celebrate with family and friends. You have cake or whatever. But here, Jesus, after being affirmed for being a son of God by the Holy Spirit and by God the Father, he decides to go out and be alone. He goes out into the wilderness, away from everybody else, not even celebrating this great moment in his life, but he goes out into the wilderness. And why is he doing that? It's because he's taking really seriously the calling that God has given to him. He's going out to fast, to pray, to meditate on what it means to be the son of God. And, and he's out there by himself, not eating. 
And so after 40 days and 40 nights, the scripture says he's hungry. That's natural. That's a natural feeling that all of us have, is to have hunger. And hunger is a very powerful condition, right? I, I don't know if, how many of you experienced this. I know and in our staff meetings, a lot of times it could be quiet, serious discussions, and all of a sudden my stomach starts to growl. And you've had that grumbling that comes out of your stomach. And you're wondering, oh, man, when is this meeting going to end and we can eat? <laughs> but that's, that's a normal feeling. And it's actually one that's been given to us by God so that we would survive, that your body will tell you it needs food. And, and so that's an important and genuine desire. There's nothing wrong with hunger. But it's at those moments where Satan can come, the devil can come, and cause us to stumble. It's in those moments when we are tired, exhausted, and weak that the devil comes prowling. And, and this is an interesting thing I, I want to note, that um, the devil comes and tempts us. And, and, and it's interesting, the scripture says there that he is the tempter, and it gives the characteristic of who the devil uh, is and, and, and will do. The devil doesn't make us do anything that's impossible for us. The devil comes in his wily schemes. He teases us and tempts us in things that we can possibly do. So that's important to note. <clears throat> in this particular case, the devil is coming to Jesus and he says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And, and this is totally possible for Jesus. Jesus has, uh, he's a God, so he has amazing powers. He can do this. But the devil wouldn't come to you or me and say, make this stone to bread. If we're hungry, that's not, not the way the devil's going to work. Instead, the devil will make us do things that we possibly can. For example, uh, some of you know I'm a dentist. And for me to put food on the table, I have to do dental procedures. And the patients in my chair have to trust me to give an appropriate diagnosis. But I could make up things and over-treat people's teeth and mouths. That would be disingenuous, but it I would get paid for it. But that's something the devil content me to do, especially if I have a lot of debt to pay back, if there's something that I really desire I need more money for. And sadly, unfortunately, this is what's happening in, in many of the professions. The students coming out of, graduates coming out of their training, they have a lot of debt. And so they need to pay it back, and they're tempted. And we're seeing this of overtreatment in the medical field because of bad debt and the temptation to pay it off. And that's what the devil's going to do. He's going to make you try to compromise your integrity by doing something you possibly can, not to make bread out of stones, but he, he tempts us with things that we can do. And that's the danger of the devil. Here, Jesus Here's this temptation, and he's hungry, but he answers by saying, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so here, Jesus counters Scripture uh, with Scripture, that he recognizes his hunger, but doesn't succumb to his hunger, and the temptation to use the gifts and the power that God has given to him in a way that was not, was not meant to be. Jesus' power is not to serve himself, but to serve God. And in this particular case, he has not clearly heard from God to make stones out of bread, or, or bread out of stones. So he can't do that. That would be disobedient. So he tells the devil that man should not live by bread alone, but by the word, words of God. And essentially what Jesus is pointing out, there are things more important than our physical needs, that there are spiritual things that are much more important than physical things. And, and, and by doing so, he's kind of reminding us that, you know, in an Asian-American church, in a church that people are pretty well-educated, we're pretty good at <clears throat> taking care of our hungers, of our physical needs. I think we do a pretty good job of that. And, I, and to parents, I think we sometimes overemphasize the importance of, of training our children to do the same. I mean, we heard David Rowe share about his family about his daughter challenging him about spiritual matters. And that's the same thing for us uh, as, as parents. Do we train our children just as well as we prepare them for the real world's uh, needs, but do we train our children in the spiritual matters, whether they are trained in prayer, in the study of God's word, about being generous, and about service. So that's a, a reminder from Jesus that we can't always focus on physical needs, but there are things that are more important, and that is spiritual things. And Jesus being tempted by hunger, he counters it by reminding that things that are of this world, sometimes we need to use spiritual power and with the help of the Holy Spirit and with God's word, those are things that we can to battle the devil's schemes. So that's the, the first temptation. The first temptation is a physical condition. It's a one of the need for sustenance. The second temptation that the devil brings is the need for security, for protection, safety. Reading in verse 5 in chapter 4, Then the devil took him to the holy city, took Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up unless you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So right there, the devil is quoting from scripture. He's using a passage from Psalms. And he's telling Jesus, if you are the son of God, then why don't you jump off this high point and then let God save you. God will surely not let your head or your foot touch the ground. And, and this is a challenge or a testing of God. And, and Jesus recognizes that this is wrong. 
that this is a temptation to, to test God. And, and that's something that, f- as, as followers of Christ, we shouldn't be doing that. We should never test God. And, and this feeling and this need for security is a normal one. Right? A lot of us uh, have this normal feeling. It's actually one of the survival things uh, that, that we've been ingrained with to be instinctive to try to survive, to be safe, not to be reckless, to do crazy things. And, and we know this fact even when we're born as infants, right? We, we swaddle them up in blankets. We put them in a tight, tight uh, bundle because that creates the feeling of security and safety to an infant. And we often see that as young parents. When you swaddle your, your little baby, they begin to feel more comfortable, warm, and safe. And so they stop squirming, and they, they can fall asleep, and they stop crying. And so that starts from birth. And throughout life, we all have this need to be secure. And, and, and um, desiring safety is, is very natural. And, and in this particular case, when we're looking at what Jesus is being asked to do, he doesn't go and do reckless things. And being a follower of Christ, we're not supposed to go do crazy things either and then expect God to save us. We're supposed to be a little bit more discerning that we are to wait on God's timing for things. And this is critical to, to understand. It's not to, to be foolish and do dumb things like sometimes we are when we're young. I, I remember one time going um, uh, rafting. And uh, this was back in college. And one of my friends uh, was a uh, thrill seeker. And he would often do things without thinking. And there was this rope over the river, and he said, oh, wouldn't it be great to go swing on that rope and jump into the water, which a lot of times young men will do. And he didn't think about whether that rope was going to support his weight. And so he just went, grabbed that rope, swung it, and went out there, and all of a sudden we were sitting there on the raft uh, below him, watched him swing out, and all of a sudden we heard this snap. And without uh, a hesitation, he dropped straight down. He never hit the water. He actually hit the ground. And fortunately for him, he didn't break anything, but he had a concussion. He didn't know where he was. And so fortunately, there were some paramedics in a raft behind us because he stopped breathing. His heart stopped. And so they had to resuscitate him. They took him to the hospital. He's fine, fine now, but... Uh, that's, that's an example of not doing things that are reckless. And, and, and God has the same thing about his, his calling on a lot of us, that we are called to do things that sometimes are risky and, and dangerous in the name of Jesus, but we have to wait on God before we do that. And Jesus recognizes that, and he says, from Scripture, he, he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, do not put God to the test. And that's an important reminder for us that we are to wait on God's timing. Now, doing risky things is probably not normal for a lot of people. 
so when I say go out and do reckless things and, and to um, do uh, careless things that would put us in danger, I think actually our need for security causes us to be risk adver- adversive. That I think the tendency is that we're actually more overly cautious. And, uh, and I think it's also a sign of the times. A lot of times, parenting techniques now are a little bit more hovering over their children. And with Back in the day, when, when I was growing up, we could go anywhere. I mean, parents didn't care where we went. And, and, and we didn't have cell phones, so there was no way they could tell where we were at. They couldn't call us, and we didn't have to check in because that was impossible. But today, with technology, there is a cell phone. Children have te- cell phones, and parents are constantly... Um, talking to their children and knowing where they're at. And times probably are different and not as innocent in the past. But my point is, I think a lot of us are more risk-adversive, that we're overly cautious. And this need for security actually holds us back from the things that God wants us to do. And, and, and what's kind of cool is... Um, uh, some of the missionaries that we, 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 we support as a church, I, I, I love to hear their stories because in many ways they are taking steps of faith, as David Rowe mentioned, of going out into the mission field and doing things for God. And sometimes it's hard. It's, you get persecution and, and danger out there. One of the uh, missionaries that we do support, and matter of fact, she just left to go back to Kenya, is Nicole Lim with Freely and Hope. And in conversations with her, she, you know, she works with women who have experienced sexual violence. And, and I had a conversation with her. Do you, you know, that's kind of, a, kind of a dangerous field to be working with because you can be uh, confronted by men who have no, no uh, qualms about violating women. And she says, yeah, there have been times where she's been afraid or been in dangerous situations. But she says to, to uh, her gratitude and her great, gratefulness to God, God has always been there to protect her. And this is what Jesus is emphasizing here is that we have to trust God for our protection. That not to test God that he would protect us or save us, but to trust in his timing that he will take care of us when danger or troubles um, uh, come up. And this is uh, something that, that is experienced by missionaries. And, and for us as Christians, we can also experience there's something we're, uh, that's going on in our, with our church leadership. We are in currently looking for uh, a new facility uh, for our worship services. And so we've been on a hunt for a while, and we don't think this is going to be easy, and it's going to take God to help us. But what's kind of cool is that the board of directors are not going to be reckless. We're not going to go out and just go buy something and then trust that God's going to provide. And the board has a value that we are going to wait on God's timing, that we will spend time praying and listening and hearing from God for the right time and the right place. 
So that's an example of, yeah, we want to, to, to be good stewards, but not be reckless and go do something that would endanger us and trust that God will, will rescue us. Instead, we're going to wait for God and hear from him to exactly tell us when to go and what to choose. So the second temptation that the devil presents to, to Jesus is the need for security. The first one was the need for sustenance. The third temptation, the final one, is the need for significance. And a lot of times we get significance through power and influence. And looking at Scripture, reading from verse 8 in chapter 4, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So this is the third and final temptation. The first one was a physical uh, challenge. The second one was, is something that I would call an emotional one, the feeling of security. And this third temptation is an area of being a psychological challenge. Now, what's the difference between psychological and emotional? They're pretty close. But emotional is a feeling, deals with your feelings, uh, and the feeling of security in particular. The third one is a psychological one, the need for significance. And psychological meaning it's a mental state. It's a state of mind that we need to, to in our minds, think that we are significant. And this is a natural, very innocent uh, need. Uh, it's, some would say it's having a special purpose in life to know that you matter. And for Christians, to matter means to be obedient to God's calling. That for every one of us, God has a purpose. And one of those purposes is to, is to spread the gospel, to love others just as you love yourself, and to love God. Very simple. And that's kind of the mission statement for our church. But every follower of Jesus Christ has a purpose, and that's the one that God pretty much gives to, to all of his followers, to love God and love others. And, and in this particular temptation... Um, the devil is asking Jesus to worship him, to bow down to the devil. And in, and in return, he would give him power. He would be able to rule over all these, these uh, uh, places in the world. And, and in, the, in one, one way of looking at this, this would accomplish Jesus' mission that he is here to establish a new world order. And so if he had that kind of power, and the kind of power that the devil was presenting to, to Jesus is more of a political power or more of a military takeover, to, to be able to rule the world, that would accomplish what Jesus had in mind of establishing this new world, new world order. But it would go against God's way for him. Because a political solution or a military solution or one of a power takeover is not what God had intended for Jesus. Jesus was going to change the world in a different way. 
And he was going to go to the cross to do that. He was going to die and sacrifice himself. And then that way, fulfill God's calling for him. So the devil instead was tempting Jesus to do something that would be disobedient to God. And that was to use a, 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 a means that would not justify the end. And so Jesus recognized this and said, he serves God only. And he quotes again from Deuteronomy by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Again, Jesus uses something spiritual to do battle with the spiritual uh, being of the devil. So when we bow down and worship God, as Jesus instructs instructs us from Deuteronomy, the devil actually retreats. Because as soon as Jesus gives this statement that we are to worship God, and bow down to God, the devil retreats. So that's a quick application, a quick tip, is that when we face temptation and we turn to God and worship him, the, the devil will back down. So when we are in worship like today, this is one way of fueling yourself, preparing yourself to draw closer to, to Jesus, to God, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and do battle against the devil who will retreat when we worship. Now, what the devil is doing in all three of these temptations is he's trying to make Jesus disobey God. And that's critical to, to Jesus' ministry to, to show the world that he is obedient to God that he will not fail in, in, in doing that. And, and, and in our world, one of the ways that, that we, we um, demonstrate that we are different from the world is, is in our generosity. Because a lot of times we live in a world that's what we consider transactional, that when we have a need for significance, a lot of times we wield our, our, our authority, our, our influence, and a lot of times through our money to gain something for ourselves. And that's how the world operates. When, when, when donors give to an athletic program, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. Major donors a lot of times do that so they would be able to have a say in what's going on in that program, in that athletic uh, department. And that's common with a lot of uh, transactional business deals that are done in, in the world. But for Christians, when we do things, we are to do it without anything, uh, expecting anything in return. It's something that we do uh, as an obedience to God's calling to us to love others. And when we do that, um, it, it, it makes a difference when the world sees that because it's so different to their ways. And, and a little bit of an example, just to show, uh, and it's kind of awkward to share these things, because a lot of times uh, when we, we, we do God's bidding, a lot of times we don't want any attention to ourselves. I mean, a lot of times we try to 
do these uh, in the background anonymously, and that's, that's important. But I want to share it because it's just a quick example. But a few weeks ago, we had um, uh, Mary Claire, uh, a woman from Kenya who came and shared, and she's a survivor of sexual uh, violence. And uh, some of us got to know her uh, through Freely and Hope and Nicole's work. And in one of her private sessions that, that a group of us had, she shared that her, her, her family needs a home. And, and a home in Kenya is a place of security. So it protects them from the environment, from the weather. But also having doors and windows and locks on the doors helps prevent people from coming in and, and violating their family. And so she said that her family needed a home and she was short on funding to construct a home. And so some of us uh, heard this, this need, this genuine need, and we wrote checks to help support her to complete the construction of the home. And in our terms, it's not a whole lot of money, but for her, it was a blessing to be able to provide a home for her family. And, and we did this not with any thing in return, because there's no tax deduction, there's no uh, write-off on this, which often charitable giving, a lot of people do that for the tax write-off, but we just did it as obedient Christ followers that we heard a need, and we, and we loved her in a way that would be very practical for her. And so that's how we express our faith, is by loving her with a generous act. And that way, we may not have any significance in the world, but it gives us significance in the kingdom of God, that God would be pleased with our actions that we, in obedience and sacrificially gave to her without any credit to ourselves. So why, why did God allow Jesus to be tempted? Now remember I said it was important for people to know if he was going to be worthy to follow? Well, there are really quickly three things I feel why God wanted allow Jesus to be tempted. Well, one is that he is human, that he is just like us, that he, being both man and God, goes through temptation. So being tempted is not sinful. How we respond to temptation can cause us to sin. And so Jesus going through that, uh, the, the, the trials of temptation, just shows us that he's human just like us. And then the second thing, besides being human like us, it was important to demonstrate that Jesus could be a role model for us, that he could show us the way how to deal with temptation when we face it. And, and scripture from Hebrews 2 verse 18 says exactly that. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus can identify with us, and he knows what it means to be tempted. And by his example in, in the temptations that the devil uh, presented to him in Matthew 4, we can model after him in how to deal with temptation in our lives. And finally, I think a third way that was important for Jesus to go through temptation was that he could then sympathize with us, that he could care for us because he could understand what it feels like to go through temptation. And, 
And life, as we know it, will present itself with temptations. And to the best of our ability, we're going to try to avoid them, but we're not perfect. And we're going to fall and stumble. But the great thing is that Jesus understands us. He cares for us because he went through it. But being God, he was perfect. And he is perfect so that he can, through his mercy and grace, intercede for us. Because that's why he went to the cross. So that the sins that we commit from temptation will be forgiven, will be washed away by his blood. And that's the amazing thing about Jesus, about being worthy, is that he was perfect and he could be a perfect substitute for us. Earlier, David Rowe, he shared about the missionaries in in the field and I mentioned how that oftentimes it's sad to hear that Missionaries will stumble and fall through the temptations of the devil. For us, it's also sad for me to hear that a lot of us will fall to the temptations of the devil. But the good news is that we have Jesus. And Jesus is worthy because he's been certified through the, his testing and through our God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the connecting point between Jesus and ourselves, and this is something to also remember, that Jesus wasn't alone in the wilderness. He, he was there with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was there to help him through these trials and temptations. And if you recall, that's also the connecting point for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus left us the Holy Spirit. So when we are dealing with temptation, and oftentimes these things happen in the dark, when we are alone, when we're tired, exhausted, and weak, but we're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. And so be reminded about that, that in those times, rely on the Holy Spirit to help you because the Holy Spirit helped Jesus, and following that, that example, the Holy Spirit will be with us when we deal with temptation. Jesus is worthy. He's been certified. He is great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, the gift of Jesus who went to the cross for us. Life is a journey, and a faith uh, faith journey with you is not a sprint, but a marathon. And we have an adversary, the devil, Satan, the tempter, who will cause us and want us to disobey you. But obedience to you is something that you call each one of your followers, and we trust through the Holy Spirit that we will be able to maintain a life that will be pleasing to you. But when we do fail, we are grateful for Jesus, who went to the cross so that we may be forgiven of the sins and the transgressions that we commit We thank you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.